When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Solar Panel, the Phoenix Sun Show. Panel, how's everybody doing today? Thank you for coming in the chat. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate you. Uh, as always, uh, my name is Dave Bing, and as always, I am joined by Zona Hoop. How are you doing this morning, Brandon? Not bad. Can't complain. Uh, 11 game win streak. Uh, another clutch time performance by this team after kind of coasting through the first three quarters so uh yeah got to take these win streaks uh with a lot because i don't know if next saturday i'm going to be able to talk about this win streak still so kind of got to soak it in right now that's right man this uh we're, we'll talk a little bit about the uh historical nature of this 11 game win streak but let me introduce our other guest today uh we have a guy who's going to help us with this deandre ayton debate later on this morning and uh good morning damon allred thank you for joining us good morning it's a pleasure to be here all right damon writes for bright side of the sun he also writes a little bit for zona hoops and i think a lot of other places you've probably seen his name around uh the internet and on twitter and all that and and we're really lucky to have you on thank you for coming Thanks. appreciate yeah. that so this is the solar panel y'all are listening to you're watching on youtube solar panel always free always fresh and always presented by the basketball podcast network if you guys have the itch to start betting on games watch that DraftKings promo or the 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 graphic in our lower right corner of your screen use promo code tbpn and you can get extra special deals that are unique to us uh, with DraftKings. all right so let's start the show uh, we have four quarters of fun for you guys today. Uh, we're going to go through each of the each, different different sections, different things. We're going to recap the past week. We're going to preview the next week. But in between, we're going to have this, this big debate. And so let's go ahead and start the first quarter. All right. The first quarter is we're going to recap the last week. The Suns in the past week <clears> went 4-0. and oh. If you guys remember, those who were with us last week, you guys were um, watching PLR predicted the 4-0 start, or the 4-0 run for the Suns in, in the past week. Um, they, be, they beat the Mavs twice, because partially because the Mavs didn't have Luka, and partially because um, the Suns are just great in the fourth quarters. Um, Zona, what do you think? What do you think happened this week besides the, the Luka being absent? Do you think that made a difference on those games? Yeah, I think it did, but also the Suns are just in such a great groove right now. It's tough to see them, you know, dropping these games. And they got Denver coming up uh, with Jokic a little banged up too. So they definitely caught a break um, in, in the schedule. And I think they're like good teams do. They take advantage of it and just stack up the wins. Um, and I, I have to, I can't let you uh, get past the two and two prediction last week. So <laughs> I was on uh, the show with PLR uh, last week, and he said to make sure to give you some crap for that. So. Um, yeah, I went three and one. I thought they'd split the Dallas miniseries, but, but yeah, I mean, they're, uh, they're, they're the best team in basketball when it comes to clutch time. They're, 
in 22 minutes, they're plus 35, which is by far the best in the league, uh, shooting 65% from the field in those 22 minutes with 19 assists to two turnovers. So they just get the job done when it counts. Damon, what do you think about those games this week? Yeah, to Brandon's point that he was talking about in the intro, uh, they kind of just have been coasting a bit through the first parts of games and then really turning it on in the fourth quarter. And frankly, they kind of look unstoppable when they get there. Um, I'm not sure that there's a team that looks at what the Suns are doing in the fourth quarter lately and says we can match that, we can go toe-to-toe with that. So I think as long as that continues and the first few quarters kind of start to even out as well, to reach sort of that happy medium between this outrageously effective fourth quarter play that they've had, then I think this team's going to be pretty well off. It's just amazing how they seem to come together. You know, we watched the first three quarters and it's, it's just crazy that, that we're watching and we're thinking, oh, they might sleepwalk their way to a loss tonight. You know, they're not, they're not playing with extra oomph. Uh, the, either the backups or the starters are not playing well and it just seems like it's gonna, it's just gonna uh, not be one of those nights. Then all of a sudden, the fourth quarter starts. CP3 locks in. Devin Booker locks in. Devin Booker's shooting almost seventy percent in in clutch time this year. And all of a sudden, the Suns are just dominating the other team. They're doing it with defense um, right now. After after all the games, twelve and three, fifteen games. They're third in the league in defense during this 11-game winning streak. They're second on defense. They're only barely top 15 in offense. So you can see when the Suns are shooting, they're not shooting it as well as they otherwise could. Last spring, this same starting unit and most of the same bench, although I think the bench is better this year than last spring's bench, um, the, uh, the Suns had the number one offense in the league from February on when they went on their great second half of the season run and their defense was around seventh, eighth, ninth um, overall for the season, they were sixth or seventh in both. But <clears throat> during the big run, when the Suns were great this past spring, they had a really better offense than they did defense. Now during this 11 game win streak, they're, they're, they're really, really great on defense and they're locking down even more in fourth quarters and then their offense is just finally clicking because Chris Paul decides he's going to hit that midi and Devin Booker gets to his spots and Devin Booker's been making here's the thing with Devin Booker man he's been making his open clutch three pointers he's been getting open ones but he also he's making them when he's contested too but he's making those three quarters when it counts what else are you seeing in the fourth quarter zona uh just Chris Paul just doing whatever the hell he wants and everyone knows what's coming and you can't stop it. Uh, I just like laugh to myself sometimes just watching it because it's just like we kind of take it for granted in a way of how easy he gets to a spot and just pulls up and hits that mid range. And he's just been an assassin. And um, I think in general, the Suns, you know, there have been some weaker opponents where it might be a little tough for them to, to be locked in for that full 48 minutes. Um, but, you know, they step up when it counts. And that's that's what great teams do during, in the regular season. So. Um, yeah, that and then the bench clicking a little bit, I think, uh, with campaign missing some time early and eight and missing some time shifting the big rotation a little bit that kind of weakened their depth and like chemistry building. But now that they're getting some more reps, I think that you're going to see them continue to get better and better. So uh, once that bench gets to that point where it was last year, where they're kind of 
at some points of the season carrying the starters, uh, this team's going to be really, really good. Yeah, Damon, what do you think about um, how, how the Mavericks played and, and whether uh, missing Luka had anything to do with the outcomes this week? Yeah, they just looked a lot like they were missing their alpha. Like you were getting good contributions from guys like Jalen Brunson and Frank Nilakina and even Porzingis for stretches, who gets probably too much flack for what he really deserves. But they just looked like a team that was without their multiple-time All-NBA guy. No, absolutely. But, you know, you would think that the multiple-time All-NBA guy, Luka Doncic, who um, obviously came out of the same draft as DeAndre Ayton, which kind of leads into our next section when we get there, but we're not quite there yet, is that Luka would be the difference in beating the Suns. However, Luka is like one and one win versus a thousand losses against the Suns in his career. It doesn't matter who he's got on the court with him. It doesn't matter who the Suns are playing. The Suns, even in their 20-win season, in Aiton's rookie season, were beating the Mavericks. So I'm not sure that Luka made a difference on the wins. He might have just made a big difference on, on how the games unfolded. And uh, it's just it's just uh, it's it's interesting um, how those games did unfold. I thought the Mavericks played very, very well. They wanted to show that they could win without Luka. And uh, and they actually showed up very well for the first three and a half quarters of each of those games. They had a lead going into the fourth quarter, five point lead going into the fourth quarter in both games. So I thought that was really good on their part. Uh, Kudos to them. But we all kind of knew all the way through the game. We knew the Suns were going to turn it on at some point. At some point, the Suns were going to go on a run. And that run happened in the fourth quarter of each game exactly when Chris Paul wanted them to happen. So it's just amazing. Uh, Do you think Chris Paul is uh, and should be in the MVP consideration in the conversation this year because of how he's playing or not? Uh, Damon, let's go with you first. Um, to be honest, if we're comparing it to last year when I think, did he come in fifth in MVP voting last season? Yeah. yeah if we're comparing it to that, it, it definitely feels to me like he has more impact and more sway on how this team goes as far as like, if he's playing well, the rest of the team is playing well. And so I just think that, um, if you're comparing it to last year, I think he should definitely be in the conversation, but to me, there's a lot of candidates elsewhere that are in the conversation now that weren't really in the conversation last year. Like you look at Jimmy Butler for Miami, wasn't in the top five last year, and he's probably going to be in the top five this year. So just as far as that. Yeah, there's definitely a ton of uh, worthy candidates uh, for MVP. And obviously, Steph Curry has just been shooting the leather off the ball uh, this season. So I don't know that... that um, Chris Paul should be in the top of the MVP race, but 11 games in a row, you can't, you can't argue with that. Zona, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, obviously 15 games into the season, Steph has it locked up at this point, but the, you know, the season can change quick. So there's still a lot of time left, but yeah, I think Chris will probably be top 10 um, just with the Suns, you know, probably being a top two seed in the West again. And if he continues to play like this, leading the league in assists and, uh, near the top in steals and just, you know, helping these young guys out. So um, last year it was, it was a lot like media narrative too that was like factored in. So maybe they get kind of tired of pushing that agenda this year and Booker gets a little more love. Um, 
but yeah, it's 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 tough to see him not at least being discussed. I don't really see him as a legitimate candidate to win it, though. You know, one uh, Booker's been very interesting this year so far. Uh, he, I think, in some ways, he's playing better than he did last year. He's got a two to one assist to turnover ratio going into the last two Dallas games. Um, he had he had been up over five assists a game and below, uh, below two and a half to two turnovers a game. And he only had one assist in the two Mavericks games put together. Zero on Wednesday and one on Friday. But otherwise, Devin Booker has been really, really good this year. He's making shots in the clutch. He's doing smart things. He's playing great defense. He had a, he had a block the other night to, to help seal the win. He had a steal the, um, last night, I think, to help seal the win. Uh, what do you think about Devin Booker's play so far this year, Zona? Yeah, he's just doing what it takes to win, uh, sacrificing a little bit some nights offensively. And uh, he's had a couple shooting slumps too, but like when it comes to clutch time, he, he's locked in uh, on both ends. And we've seen the chase down blocks like time and time again. And uh, this one wasn't a chase down block last night, but just, you know, good straight up defense. And I think, you know, just seeing him sort of turn into the Olympic book where he's just sacrificing for the, the wins and sometimes turning into like a really good role player. Um, I think that's the leap in his game that was so heavily criticized early on in his career. Like this guy's not a winner. He doesn't do the little things, stuff like that. And just to see him transform and and make big plays like that. um, In addition to the big scoring nights, it's just a luxury at this point. So uh, I think playing with Chris obviously helps, but you know, you got to give him a lot of credit too for just the little things he's improved on and uh, the decision-making, the rebounding, the, you know, just literally just sacrificing his body on defense. And uh, yes, he still has his lapses sometimes on that end, but for the most part, um, you know, you can't get too nitpicky with with someone with that big of a workload. Yeah, absolutely. Damon, what are you seeing from Booker this year so far? Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of that Olympic book kind of manifest itself here in Phoenix. Um, That's a good way to put it. Yeah, with the, the hard defense that he's been playing, um, he's, I haven't really seen him get in the stance the way he has been doing this year, especially in clutch time. And in addition to that, I think he's also just understanding even more the ebbs and flows of the game and just picking his spots even better about like, when should I be looking to score? When should I be looking to pass? When should I just be a decoy off ball? And I think that understanding is really helping the evolution of Booker kind of bring him into this potential all NBA guy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I love the evolution I'm seeing from Booker. He also, he and CP three are also in the top five in the league in assists per pass, uh, which is, which is pretty incredible considering CP holds the ball constantly. You know, he's, he's always bringing the ball up and uh, the Suns are a very pass oriented offense. Although, you know, I guess there's a chicken and the egg thing. Do you get the passes first to get the great shots? Do you need more passes to get great shots? Or should you have the the most assists per pass? The Suns are only in the 10 to 12 to 13 range in offensive rating. When their offense goes up to number one, I wonder if that means uh, that's because they had more passes getting setting up good to great. Monty's talked uh, last couple of years about good to great or paint to great on creating shots. And I haven't seen quite as much of that this year. Uh, there has been a lot of, a lot of dribbling around and then a single pass, getting the shot, a guy trying to break down the defender 
and then getting a shot or or making a uh, making a single pass. Um, the other thing Monty talked about last night was the Suns are running themselves off the three point line. Uh, all besides Booker, Booker's three point attempts are up, but Mikel and Cam Johnson and guys like that are are not being as aggressive on taking threes. They're driving in and trying to create a tougher shot for themselves. All those things are considering to uh, are are contributing to a not awesome offense so far. And uh, but their defense has just been stellar, and it's really it's really fun to watch. Um, I should explain. A lot of people are asking, "Is what the heck is wrong with Dave's setup here?" Um, I I moved out of my office because my daughter moved into our house, uh, uh, and um, now I'm in uh, in another room, and I haven't set it up yet. I'm nego- currently negotiating with the boss on how much sun-, sun stuff I can put on the background of this room. So, got to figure that out. Uh, but in the meantime, and I got the li- lighting problem here as well. So you guys are just going to have to. I'm in witness protection. Or so says Jace. Um, I mean, uh, we're we're both in prison. Me and Zona are both in prison because we got the dark background yeah. <laughs> or the plain. I'm, background. I'm also uh, in the middle of a move right now, so that's that's my excuse for being in witness protection right now. Exactly. Damon's <laughs> the one who's uh, looking best out of all of us today. He's got great lighting and 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 he's in a room that looks like it's lived in. So good for you. <laughs> it's all I live in. This is the only room I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's got good lighting, so we'll go with that. <laughs> Um, yes, so last week PLR was uh, the winner in predicting the Suns going 4-0, although he didn't predict Luka wasn't going to play. But again, like I said earlier, Luka has almost never beaten the Suns in his career, so that still made PLR the, the rightest. I thought the Suns would have a couple of hiccups this week. I just didn't uh, plan on them being absolutely perfect in every fourth quarter. They are setting themselves up to think they can play however they want to play the first three quarters and then assume they're going to win in the fourth and some other team is going to just decide, no, we're going to make all of our shots in the fourth. So we'll see how that goes. At the end of the show, we'll preview the rest of the uh, uh, the next week of games going through and after Thanksgiving. But for now, uh, we are going to move on to the, hopefully, the most interesting part of this show today. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, Damon and I have gone back and forth in our Slack uh, 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 on Brightside uh, writing, and um, and I thought his takes were really good on whether Da DeAndre Ayton is worth that max contract. We all just assume. Now, giving a quick recap. Well, first let's let's transition into the second quarter, courtesy of John Voida, who does a lot of us. The second quarter. So our second quarter is talking about whether DeAndre Ayton is worth a max contract. What's his ceiling? What kind of player do we think he's going to be in the future? Because when you sign somebody to a new contract, you're paying them for the contract they're playing in, not for what they've already done. Some guys don't get paid until it's after they've already proven themselves. But when it comes to these rookie extensions, it's usually you're paying them on what's coming, what's to come. So let's go ahead and, and get into that. So we've got DeAndre Ayton. He was not extended on his rookie deal. He is going to be a restricted free agent next summer. He is eligible for up to a max contract extension, which is $29.75 million a year, first year, with if the Suns give the raises, the max raises up to 8% a year and off that first year, 8% of that first year contract every year for four more years and it can go up to five years. Uh, whereas another team can only do four years and 5% on 
on raises. And so the Suns are risking, they're rolling the dice on putting him into restricted free agency. James Jones went on record saying the Suns were not interested in just giving DA a max five-year with escalators that could take it up to 30% of the cap or $32, $33 million a year to start instead of 29 uh, the Suns were not interested in that. Aiton's camp was not interested in anything lower than that. And so here we are. We're at a stalemate. Aiton's going into his, his fourth year in the league, and he's the only the fourth number one overall pick not to get a, an extension the year before his fourth year. So uh, what we're going to debate today is whether he is worth getting that max extension even next summer. It's too late now to negotiate it. We have to wait until next year. But we, what is it going to take? What do we need to see? What kind of player does he need to be to get that max extension and earn it? And I'm going to let Damon go first on this and tell us what you think about DA's future. Yeah, so I, I really loved Aiton's performance in the playoffs. Like, you're going to hear me talk pretty negatively about um, whether he deserves the max or not, but this is not a slight to what he did in the playoffs. This is not a slight to his defense, which is obviously fantastic. Um, it's it's more about positional value for me in the NBA and what can you get f- along the margins to kind of best set you up to build the team around um, whatever your cornerstones are. And right now the cornerstones of this team are, frankly, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Mikhail Bridges more so than DeAndre Ayton to me. Zona. Yeah, I think uh, the whole discussion in terms of like, is he worth like, you know, phrasing it like that? I mean, there's a lot of players that get max deals. Are they worth it? Probably not. Like you look at like Rudy Gobert, for example, he's probably role wise, the like most similar thing you could look at and sort of compare one to one with DeAndre. But um, and you look at the playoffs last year and, and you tell me who you take out of uh, eight and him Gobert with uh, Rudy kind of struggling to stay on the court at times and getting exposed by the Clippers, small ball lineups, while Aiden was like an integral piece. Um, yeah, I totally get Damon's point about team building. There's there's ways you could find uh, cheaper options at center. And um, when you have someone like Aiden who hasn't shown a lot offensively, creation-wise, there are definitely some concerns when you're going to pay someone, you know, 30-plus percent of your, you know, salary or cap space. So, yeah, I do get the concerns, um, but it's never a case of like, are they worth it? It's it's just what you got to pay to keep these guys on your team. Look at Michael Porter Jr. I would never in a million years give him that contract, but Denver had to to keep him. And I think the Suns are going to end up in a similar boat where it's either, you know, you got to look to move this guy or, or you got to extend him. There's no um, there's no in between because if you don't pay him, someone else will. And you know, I think you know, obviously. Uh, Aiton's playoff performance was everything you wanted and more. So if he can continue to do that in the playoffs, then, you know, you can, you can kind of live with like the offensive limitations and stuff like that. But, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a layered discussion that you have to factor in, factor in a lot of different things. What I think polarizes people about DA besides the look, everyone talks about, oh, he doesn't dunk it hard enough. Oh, he doesn't put the ball on the on the ground. Absolutely. Those are true. But what what really polarizes us on DA is the word max, I think. And really, you think when you think max contract, you think max player and a max player should be the best player on your team. We don't talk about the fact that D'Angelo Russell has a 
max contract. And uh, Andrew Wiggins has a max contract. A lot of guys have these max contracts. So what is, let's put the max in perspective. Let's put it into perspective of what I'd like to do is put it into perspective of where does DA rank in the league as a player? And should he get a salary that's commensurate with that ranking as a player? So if you take the word max off the table and just stop talking about it in those terms, and you talk about it in, should he make as much, if he's the 40th best player in the league, should he make as much as the 40th best player in the league makes? Should he? Does Is that is that fair, Damon? Um, I, I kind of have a tough time putting it next to um, guards and wings that way, um, just because the 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 amount of super high level guards and wings that are worth 40th best player money is it's a lot harder to get those guys than like how easy it is to find a big that can play well enough to meet that pay criteria what do you, what do you think is 40th best player money when you say that so i i actually found this as part of my research. I found 41 players that are paid at least 25 million and that's 41 including Blake Griffin who of course is not on a contract that high at this point after his buyout and being with Brooklyn now. All right. So what I did is I'm going to I'm going to share my screen and I hope this works the way I want it to. Hold on here. Uh wait. I'm going to show you guys the contracts that are out there for next year. And we're going to look at the players because what I'd like to do is put this into terms of should he be played, should he be paid along the lines of a top 40 player in the league? And I got to put it into a different screen. But anyway, I'll, start, I'll just keep talking while I'm doing this. Um, I, 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 just, I just don't like the term max. And, you know, and you talk – Damon, we're going to get into whether a center at all should be among the top 40 paid players in the league, period, because I think you're you're uh, more into giving giving money to other positions. But as if you want to rank DeAndre Ayton as a player, you've got it. If you look at him in, in terms of the entire league, there was a, a dozen different lists of top 100 players coming into this season. Ayton ranked in the in between 37 and uh 50 of those so if you put him a year from now natural progression in the top 35 40 of overall players in the league then he should be paid commensurate if if his contract is up for a market rate contract he should be paid equal to that contract so i'm going to share my screen now And we're going to go over who all next year is getting paid. Uh, uh, so next year, this is the 2022 cap hit rankings, okay? This is everybody currently under contract for next year. This does not include anybody who's going to be obviously up for a contract that is not signed for next year. So anybody who's an unrestricted free agent or a restricted free agent next summer is not going to be in this list. Steph Curry is going to make $48 million. John Wall is not even playing this year. He's going to make $47 million. 
you go down here in this list, and all this is courtesy of SpotTrack. Here you go. You see Devin Booker at 23rd in the league at 33.8 million. Then you go all the way down. You keep going, and you get to, oh, hey, all of a sudden we see Trey Young, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Michael Porter. They're 38, 39, and 40 in the league. So if Aiton gets paid that amount and he is the 40th best player in the league, then he should get paid that amount. So I don't want to talk about it in terms of max. I don't want to talk about it in terms of position that they play. I want to talk about it in terms of is he a top player in the league and should he be paid equivalent of a top player in the league? And I say yes. Zona, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, one thing that is kind of like underlooked a little bit is obviously you can find production out of like these centers, like uh, on cheap contracts and all that. And they could help in the regular season with wins against, you know, bad teams. Like we saw JaVale and and Frank, you know, torch Portland who, you know, their big man rotation and defense in general is is pretty putrid. Um, And then teams like Dallas who their center rotation without uh, Maxi Kleba is pretty, pretty rough too. So I think, um, compartmentalizing regular season success with when you enter a playoff series, like you're going to need a defensive anchor. Those are tough to find. Like the grass is always greener, I think sometimes. And like, yes, you can find value and work your way through that. But, you know, we just had a Kings podcaster on the other day who they have Rashawn Holmes, who I love big Rashawn Holmes guy. Um, and he's someone that would kind of fit that mold of like the cheaper center you could find to like replace Nathan. And his first thing was like their number one, like not number one, but one of their top items on their wish list was to give DeAndre a, a max offer sheet, you know, this offseason. So I think you look around the league and, you know, if, if Phoenix doesn't want him, there's going to be a lot of teams that do just because of his value defensively and what he brings as an anchor. And quite frankly, he's someone that could be like a playoff cheat code, like we've seen against a Golden State who, you know, you know, with Draymond, like, are you going to be able to go the small ball, like, all the time? Because I don't know if he can, you know, as great as Draymond is defensively, I don't know if he can really guard DeAndre on those hard rolls. So, yeah, I think it's it's tough to, yes, there's value in that play, but it's also very hard to replace something like that. So that has to be factored in. And if you're going to move on from DeAndre, which by all means, James Jones definitely could, uh, there you can't rule anything out with him. He's very cutthroat. But if you're going to move on, you better have someone that can match that defensive anchor value uh, to come into this team specifically. And uh, looking post CP3 too, there's also concerns with shot creation. Where where are the shots going to come from? So I get both sides of the the coin. But uh, like I said, grass is always greener sometimes. All right, let's take a quick break and talk about our partners at DraftKings. The NHL season is underway, just like the others, NFL, NBA, NHL, everything's going. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, as well as NFL, as well as NBA, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and get $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes on any sport all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. That's TBPN. 
Throw down $1 on any NHL game this week and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you one big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or PA only. Arizona customers are fine. New customers only for this offer. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. <laughs> what do you think about uh, replacement value of Aiden? What, what is a type of player who you think could be just as effective in, uh, for this team in the playoffs and carrying all the way to the finals? What kind of player could be just as effective for this team? Well, so you you kind of talk about um, if he's the 40th best player in the league, should he get paid the 40th highest contract? Um, I think that that kind of lends itself too much to letting teams who aren't making smart decisions um, influence your decisions too much. And like Brandon was saying, James Jones is capable of anything, as we've seen. Um, I think it's necessary to remind everybody that James Jones did not select DeAndre Ayton. That was one draft before him. Um, he was he are, was the the assistant though. Yeah, he was there. He was, yeah. wasn't the final guy. Yeah. Um. So I think that point is important. Um. As far as replacement bigs being able to replace what Ayton does on either end, um, I had this tweet that kind of went negatively viral. After Frank Kaminsky's 31-point game, I think it was, when the two centers, Kaminsky and JaVale McGee, combined for like 45 points, 20 mm-hmm. rebounds, a bunch of stuff like yep. that. Yeah, and um, from two guys who are making a combined just over $7 million, as opposed to if Aiton were to sign a max, that's yeah. so around let's talk the about $30 that. Million mark. Let's talk about that. Um uh... Those guys, how many of how how many times were those guys um, triple teamed? How many times did the defense rotate down to tag or try to swipe at the ball or try to defend the lob on those guys from the corners to help out the guy in the middle? I would say about zero, roughly zero times. Uh, here's the thing: Javale McGee and Frank Kaminsky can look good in a pinch and in a regular season game, uh, but even Frank and Javale would tell you that they shouldn't be playing ahead of DA. Uh, that's So as far as replacement value, I fear that your replacement value of DA, this is just my opinion. You can have yours, Damon. You can have yours, Zona. You can have yours in the chat. My opinion, though, is you don't win championships with a 50 to 75% replacement level player. You just don't. You, have, you win championships with the guy who is better than the other guys when it counts. And DeAndre Ayton has shown he's better when it counts. And he's better even in the regular season. I asked Monty Williams the other day, pregame, Wednesday before the Mavs game, I said about that game, Damon, I said, you had Frank and JaVale play really, really well. They had 45 points and 15 rebounds in one game. Uh, But then as soon as DeAndre Ayton was healthy, you brought him in for every minute he could play. And because Monty had already said he was going to hold um, Aiden to 27, 28 minutes, but then Aiden was looking so good. He kept him out for 34, 35 minutes in or 33, 34 minutes in the Monday game. And he's like, Dave, I, I don't know how to put this 
in a, in a clearer way, but on from, from end to end, from rim to rim, DA is the guy, he just is, he's just better for this team out there. And he tried to say it in a way that was not negative to Frank and JaVale, but I mean, it was like almost saying, why aren't you playing Landry Shamit? Cause he made four threes last night instead of Devin Booker. The way Monty answered the question was, you just don't. So I think it's pretty obvious that, that, DA is the better player and the guy you want out there all the time because Monty was saying he look he just does everything better. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't make the passes like Frank can make. He doesn't uh uh finish an off off balance lob the way JaVale can do, but he does all these things so much better. And that's the guy you need to have on the court. Um that to me is no, you can't win in the playoffs and go to the finals with JaVale McGee and Frank Kaminsky at center. And I get what you're saying, Damon, in that one game, sure, they looked great. But also, the team they were playing against wasn't trying to stop JaVale McGee or Frank Kaminsky. In fact, um, uh, I, that was against Portland. And after the game, C.J. McCollum said, man, we just, you can't let Frank get 30 points. <laughs> you just can't do that. But it was after the game that he said it. They didn't have a plan for stopping him during the game because they they kept thinking he was going to stop himself. And two games later, uh, what it, Frank most of Frank's points in that game were were on uh, like floaters and one-handed uh, jump stop shots. He missed every one of them the other the two games later. And so, uh, nothing against Frank. I love Frank, but he's not the guy you're going to want to play against uh, in in place of Da. Now, are there other guys who could be almost as effective as Da? with a lesser contract because, you know, like a Rishon Holmes or whatever. But even as, as Brandon said, as Zona said, the Kings podcaster said he'd much rather have DA on a max contract than Rishon Holmes on 11 million. So sometimes the grass is not always greener on the other side. What other comments on DA do you guys want to make? Um, just in response to all that, if that's okay, Brandon. Sure. Um, I the the point I was trying to make wasn't about Kaminsky and McGee specifically, but like the idea of the the lower tier contract bigs being able to impact the game um, to an amount that's significant enough for it to have value. Like I'm I'm not looking at Frank Kaminsky and JaVale McGee. I'm looking at like a contract, for example, like Robert Williams just signed an extension with Boston for four years, 54 million. I think that Robert Williams in this team would provide um, a solid enough positive value to make up for what you're losing from DA. Because I think Robert Williams can uh, distribute the ball really well, run the rim really well, run pick and roll really well. And just plays his butt off on defense, which is a lot of the same things that Aiton does, but it's also at that lower price point that really gives you the flexibility to make other moves around that point. And I think that depth is really underrated as far as on contenders. Zona? Yeah, no, I agree. There's definitely value you could find uh, throughout the league, but when it comes to replacing like a starter, um, the first thing I, I want to do, unless we're, we're talking about post CP3, which I think is something a lot of Suns fans don't want to talk about because it's a hard conversation, but they will need another shot creator. Um, 
And I don't know if Mikael Bridges is going to be that guy. Right now, DeAndre doesn't look like that guy. So um, that leaves you to the question, who's the easiest to trade? And it's probably DeAndre just because of uh, where he's at right now. But yeah, I think um, when looking at trying to find that value, though, on a title contender, I think it's you shouldn't try to cut corners or save money here or there. Like, um, you know, I'd pay DeAndre and, and go from there. And if you need to make adjustments later on, and things like, you know, they have a specific need they need to fill, then that's fine. But um, I just think trying to get too smart or too cute with something that's working uh, could definitely backfire. So I think that's there's risk involved. I definitely get where Damon's coming from. He's made some great points. And but for me, it's like, you know, keep this title contender together and then and then figure out the the rest later. And it's not like DeAndre is going to be an untradeable contractor like Mikel Bridges is look at his contract looks incredible, too. So um you know, to me, it's like you already have these like values locked up. So um, I would just keep it together and just go from there. Yeah, going into Robert Williams a little bit. And again, Damon, I, um, I, we're just having a good debate here. OK, we're going back and forth. Robert Williams this year, I just pulled him up. He is averaging 30 points a game or excuse me, 30 minutes per game. 30. 31, <laughs> yeah, 31 minutes per game after uh, last year. Um, averaging 18.9 in 52 of their 72 games. He's played 31 minutes per game this year. He's averaging 10 points, nine rebounds, 1.4 assists, 1.8 blocks. Um, He's getting uh, two free throws a game and he's getting six shots a game. So he is doing very well. And at the apex in the best version of Robert Williams, you can get a really good player. Here's the thing though. Robert Williams has never proven that he is a really good player when you need him the most. He has he gets in foul trouble in the playoffs. He gets injured in the playoffs. He has not shown that he is reliable. And I'd rather have Aiden on a max contract that I know is reliable, that has proven he can be there every game of the playoffs for you. Doesn't foul out. Doesn't he does everything he does is 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 to stay on the court. And Monty Williams needs him on the court because he wants to be able to do that that versatile defense defense as well as offense that I, I wouldn't trust my future. I wouldn't trust my future with uh, Robert Williams as, as the center. I guarantee you um, that Boston would pay Aiden the max if they had the capacity to do that. And rather than keeping Robin Williams, Robert Williams, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that. So I won't say guarantee, but I would pretty much guarantee most teams in the league, would have eight not a max than than the center that they have. There's maybe eight or you know, six or eight teams in the league who are happy with the center they've already got. And guess what they're doing with that center? They're paying them the max. So and, that's the other thing is how many guys like uh, how many guys in the league uh, would you put Robert Williams on an island against Giannis? Would you have him defend Giannis in space? No. I, don't think any, I don't think anyone can. <laughs> who would have? Not even. Who would the Suns have put on Giannis? Then how would you have defended Giannis in the finals last year, if I Robert think, Williams was in Aiton's place? I think Crowder and Williams probably would have split time. Crowder and Robert Williams. Do you think they yeah. would have done as as? I mean, obviously Giannis did great, but he's also he played like one of the be- greatest players in the history of the league. Um, I think being able to put Da on that island. What would have it was great, and what would have happened is they would have had to <clears throat> do a lot of mixing and matching and rolling and tagging and double teaming and 
trapping and all that stuff against Giannis. And that just would have broken down the rest of the defense um, in ways you don't want to have your defense break down. One of the things that's great about the Suns defense is that they don't have to double team guys. When was the last time you saw the Suns go out of their way to double team a player, any player, no matter who the player is, they just switch. Giannis. Giannis they didn't the really double team him though. In the, in the finals, did they double team him in the finals? They helped a lot. I think. Yeah, they, they overhelped a little bit. I want to say double team, but they definitely changed. They adjusted their defensive scheme. It was a little more like paint central. But one point I think is a better point to make, Dave, than the honest thing is uh, we're in the same conference as Nikola Jokic, and that Denver team's going nowhere. Like I think Phoenix and Denver long-term are probably like two of the safest bets in the West to have those future playoff battles. And having someone like DeAndre to guard Nikola Jokic, who no one can really guard Nikola Jokic. And uh, Nikola's already said multiple times that DeAndre gives him the most trouble he's ever had. I think that point is more important than something like Giannis or even Embiid, who these are Eastern Conference teams. You're probably not going to play them unless you're in the finals. So I think in the playoffs going up against Jokic or even Anthony Davis or Towns, who might not think the playoffs in Minnesota, he (laughs) might need to go somewhere else. But um, having DeAndre to guard Jokic specifically, who, you know, like I said, Denver, they're a very good team. I know um, obviously the Suns swept them, but they're going to get Murray back, um, Porter Jr. And at full strength, that's a team that is going to cause trouble. So I think, uh, you know, having a Jokic stopper or like not stopper, just someone that could slow him down because no one can stop Jokic, uh, but is pretty valuable. So that's that to me is like one area that I think DeAndre gets overlooked in. And then, like I said earlier, just going back to the Golden State point, I think um, dating back to when the Suns first drafted eight, and I thought I was pretty high on his defense, and I thought that his ability not to get played off the court defensively would help against a team like Golden State specifically. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see that a few times this season, in the regular season, and obviously on Christmas Day. So I think um, if DeAndre can kind of expose Golden State's small ball lineups and stay on the court against them, then that's that's another – um, huge point that I think could kind of turn the tide. Yeah, it's interesting. They'll play Golden State three times in the next month. Golden State right now is the only team that has a better record than the Suns. The Suns overall are going to start playing tougher teams uh, over the next month. They've had a fairly easy schedule so far. So we'll see. <clears throat> we'll see then um, how the next month goes. But I think that's a very good point, Zona, is that DA is the kind of guy who you can leave on the court even when Golden State is going small, like with uh, Draymond in the middle, and that's how they've—that's basically how they've done it. But I also want to remind people that that Golden State is the team that everyone says, "Look at them; they can play small. You don't need a center." They had four Hall of Famers in their prime on their team at the time, and the only position they didn't have a Hall of Famer at was at center. And so, yeah, you give me four Hall of Famers at the other positions, then I'm okay with not having a great center. But Almost every other team in the in the league that is going to a finals level um, um, as a contender has a really great center on their team, and and there's a reason Da is only around eighth or tenth in among centers, and he still is about the fortieth best player in the league. I mean, the centers are not being played off the floor, um, and the centers are not being uh, phased out of the NBA like uh, like people thought they were going to be. So I think that was, this is a good discussion. Uh, thank you, Damon, for, for um, having that and, and playing that part. I know you believe it. 
Um, and I believe what I believe. And, and it's just that's why uh, NBA is so great to follow as, as fans. And um, obviously, I mean, it's, it's pretty safe to say that the Suns front office is more closer to Damon's side of the fence than mine uh, because they didn't give D.A. that max. I, I every time I talk to one of the folks out outside of our network, though, excuse me, outside of our market, um, they're all just shocked that um, they're all just shocked that the Suns did not give Aiton the max. Uh, David Bailey, I wish Dave would acknowledge that giving Aiton the max would sap all that uh, depth that we have now, especially once Cam Johnson is off his rookie deal. That's not actually true, David. Um, the Suns will have all the capacity to do maxes. Um, they can't obviously keep three max players. They can't, they can't keep paying CP three, 30 some million dollars and Devin Booker and all that. Um, they are going to have to reconstitute the team a little bit, but you're always going to be able to get depth. You're always going to be able to find those guys like JaVale McGee, like Frank Kaminsky, like Landry Shamit, who they acquired for $3 million. They, yeah, they extended him at 10. Landry Shamit's the one that bothers me more than DA at a max. Um, they got a good deal on Mikel Bridges. They will be able to keep that depth, um, and they will be able to keep a championship-level team together with DA on a max. That doesn't at all mean if you sign DA to the max, you can't have the rest of a team together. I would just like to say on Shamit, it's important to remind ourselves that's really just a, a two-year $20 million contract that's um, very tradable, too. So I think... <clears throat> Obviously, it is kind of weird that they extended him before seeing him in their system and someone that's going to be a backup for Book, like, strictly. Um, but I think, yeah, that I had to, like, remind myself that because early in the season, especially when he was not really a huge and, like, a big part of their plans, I was kind of, like, thinking about that extension again. And then I remembered it's, like, just a hidden two-year 20 mil. It just looks a little bit bigger on the surface. Yeah, um, and really the Suns are geared up for the next two years. So you've got, no matter what, if you extend your own players, you can pay them. If you pay your, keep your own players, you can pay them over and above the cap, and that's that's all well and good. It's the it's the reconstituting the team, signing free agents that you'll be limited on, but uh, the Suns will still have mid-level exceptions and biannual exceptions and, and minimum contract exceptions and all that. They'll still be able to fill out a team the same way they filled out the last two years. They've basically built this team for the next two years with CP3 and Landry Shamit fits in that. So you're right, Zona, that, uh, that that after two years, they'll, they'll have a little bit of a different team. But man, I believe in James Jones, the team builder. Just two years ago, this was a 20-win team. And he turned him into a finals team. So I believe in that. I believe in his ability to do it. And if it's James Jones who truly believes Aiton is not, uh, should not be paid the max, that's fine. I don't think it is. I think it's Robert Sarver who decided that James Jones shouldn't be, uh, excuse me, that uh, DA should not be a max player. And James Jones wasn't given a choice. That's my opinion. I don't know for a fact. Um, and if that's the case, I think they made their own decision. James Jones does know how to build a team. He knows how to do it with keeping players on track and, and focused and committed while negotiating deals. Now, one thing that has gone under, under the radar is that the Suns were potentially very close to not having completed the Mikel deal this offseason. Mikel took a discount to sign, and they waited until Mikel just decided he was going to sign. 
everybody thought Mikel was going to get 95 to 100. Some people thought he was going to get even more than that. And if he held out till next summer, he could have gotten more than that. A lot of people think Mikel is more valuable on the Suns than Aiden. So why did he sign for only $21 million a year? Because he took a deal. The Suns hardballed him, and he took the deal. Um, uh, CP3 probably did not want to have two almost totally unguaranteed contracts in his final two years, but he took it because he wanted to stay. There's a lot of guys who take the deal, um, and DA was the one who didn't, and the Suns were in danger of of not even uh, not even getting McKellen a contract. How, how much would we, would we be melting down right now if neither of them had been signed? So um, we'll see what happens with DA, uh, and this season is going to play out. I think he's going to end up showing more this year even than last year, and all this is going to be water under the bridge, but we'll see. Doesn't That doesn't mean Robert Sarver will see the light, so we'll see how that goes. All right, so that was our second quarter. Thank you guys for contributing to that debate. Um, I don't think we have a winner. I think everybody stayed in the exact corner they came in in. Um, so let's move on to baller talk. Um, hey, Dave, real quick. Yeah. Is it okay if I butt in with one more thing on that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so that, that list that I was uh, mentioning earlier, the list of 40, 40 players who make 25 or more, 25 million or more this year's, this season, excuse me. Um, eight of them, eight of the 40 are bigs, or you can argue that they're bigs. And just going to read them off real quick. Al Horford, Bam Adebayo, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Rudy Gobert, and Anthony Davis. Aiton has a lower usage than all except Gobert and a lower percentage of unassisted made shots than all of them. So taking that what it's worth. Yeah, I understand. Uh, you're you're in the camp that a uh, player making 25 or more million dollars a year creates their own offense. I'm in the camp that of a, more of a Rudy Gobert type. In fact, I think he's better than Rudy Gobert in that you've got it. That if you can put a guy out there who can defend every one of those dudes you just mentioned, and can switch out and defend Damian Lillard on the on the on the wing, and um, any of the uh, any of the other great players that are out there and can rebound like a mad dog. People are saying Miles Turner should be a, could be a good replacement. Well, A, Miles Turner makes a lot of money too, not quite the 25-plus, uh, but he doesn't rebound, he doesn't stay healthy, and he doesn't have any more of an offensive game than D.A. does. I don't know. Indiana's not even happy with Miles Turner. Why, why would we be? So I think, I think it's just, um, um, to me, I value different things than just the ability to create your own offense. And that's, uh, this isn't, this is a win games league. It's not a create your offense league. If this was a one-on-one league, Aiden shouldn't be out there, but it's not a one-on-one league. It's a five on five league. And the teams that win games are the ones who move on. So that's my take on it. Yeah. I will say he does need to show a lot more offensively. Uh, for me, like, Obviously, the defense is like exactly what you want, and you're kind of hoping he grows into that offensively. But there needs to be more consistent, uh, either getting to the line, attacking off the dribble, nothing crazy. Like he doesn't have to bring the ball up the court like Giannis or anything, but just those hard dribble moves and just like initiating contact, stuff like that. Um, and I think obviously he's still 23. There's still a lot of time for him to add some stuff to his game, and he's been asked to play a role that's not really. Uh, suited for him to like showcase those things but there does if you're going to pay him max money i do think there needs to be um some improvements on that end for sure 
All right, we are going to move into our third quarter. Uh, what I'm going to do right now, though, as, as a little bit of a break, give everybody a chance to uh, drink some water or whatever it is. Uh, we are not going to play a Manscaped ad because we no longer have a relationship with Manscaped. So you're welcome, folks. You don't have to listen to me talk about trimming ourselves or asking Damon uncomfortable questions. So uh, for this for this moment, uh, for a little bit of a break, we're going to we're going to remind you that you can sign up for this this podcast in audio form and any of your forms that you want to sign up for. So you can listen to our midweek episodes as well. So I'm going to play that first. For those watching this episode on YouTube, I've got some news for you. You're only getting half the story. The Solar Panel Podcast delivers you an additional special episode every Wednesday with a national personality from places like The Ringer, The Athletic, Bleacher Report, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, NBA.com, and everyone else. You'll hear what the non-locals think about the Suns and the NBA in general. It's a new feed, though. You've got to click some buttons. Forget the old one. Get the new one. Go to your favorite pod app. Search for Solar Panel Podcast with the orange logo. While you're there, subscribe, rate, and review. And if you leave me a five-star review, I'll give you props on the air. All right, folks, please. I, I will put the link in the chat in the chat at the end of the show for you to click over there and subscribe to the audio feed. We have a lot of great episodes. We've, we've been doing previews for... Uh, for the games that are coming up midweek. And I had a great talk with Tim Cato this week, who has covered the Mavs for the past 10 years, just about the overall drama, the difference in the Mark Cuban allegations that came out a few years ago versus the Robert Sarver allegations that are out now. Um, the Lucas stuff, DA stuff, all the drama around whether Jason Kidd is a good coach and, and is, is, be is better than uh, Rick Carlisle or not. All that kind of stuff. And we talked about the Suns and how somebody outside the Phoenix market um, thinks about the Phoenix Suns. So that was a, it was a really good talk. So go ahead and sign up. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the link toward the end of the show. All right. We are going to move into baller talk. Um, and uh, the first question I don't think that we covered last week that was left by Liz Nichols. Uh, but if we did cover it, uh, we'll go back to it anyway. Um Liz was worried that the team would fall apart when DA comes back. I know we talked about it a little bit with PLR, but obviously the team did not fall apart when DA came back this week. They they played just like they always have played, basically, that we're used to over the past couple of weeks. Um, <clears throat> Frank Kaminsky came up uh, with a sore knee this week anyway and didn't get a chance to play. What do you guys think? Of, I'm going to turn this a little bit, and I'm going to say, what do you guys think of JaVale McGee so far? Um, what do you think about the minutes that JaVale has played? Should he be in a bigger role or is this a perfect role? What is it that, that he brings to the team that we didn't have uh, before? Uh, Zona, you go first. It is a roller coaster ride that has a lot of highs and lows. Um, you know, but he, he's been pretty productive and, and done about a little bit better than what I thought he'd do. Um, I think the role he's in is is perfect right now. Obviously, in the playoffs, there's there's going to be some teams that he's going to struggle to get on the floor against consistently. So I still think their biggest need is finding that small ball five, like a Tory Craig uh, for specific matchups, but against traditional centers and, and drop coverages, like I think he does a great job in uh, protecting the rim. Um, but just the perimeter stuff is like the only thing I would, I would just highlight is like kind of that weakness outside of that. He's done everything you want and more from a backup center. And uh, you know, he'll have a, you know, two to one ratio of like great plays to Shaq in a full type plays. But, uh, you know, overall I've been impressed and I think, um, 
you know, just kudos to him and Frank for stepping up when they needed him most. Damon, what do you think about JaVale? Yeah, Brandon talked about the the highs and lows, and they're really high and they're really low with McGee. Um, I, I really like just as a team-building philosophy being able to keep not much change in style between your first-string center and your second-string center. I like yeah. that they kind of play the same way. Um, I called McGee and Cam Payne the, the best reserve pick-and-roll duo in the league the other day, and I, I think that um, they're better than a lot of starting pick-and-roll duos as well. Um, so just to get such prolific work out of a backup is, I think, pretty admirable. Yeah, and the energy uh, is definitely something I want to touch on too. Just, you know, there's times last year where outside of campaign, like they would kind of lack that that hype man or someone to get the crowd going, and, and JaVale is always, you know, doing that. And I think that's an important thing that kind of gets overlooked sometimes because just that injection of life in a, a game can really – turn things around, you know, a hard dunk, um, blocking the ball, like 10 seats back in the, in the stands, stuff like that. Yeah. What I'm looking forward to with, with JaVale is that, uh, DA will watch him over the course of the season and he'll pick up some of JaVale's tricks. And when I, when I say tricks, I mean, uh, CP has been telling DA to roll hard all the way to the rim every time. And DA is a little, is inconsistent in that. If he sees that the defense is already sagging, um, he'll stop short of a full roll. And then CP is kind of stuck trying to create a mid-range shot when all the defenders are right there because DA hasn't rolled all the way to the rim. Um, McGee is so good at just presenting himself at the rim as quickly as possible as soon as he's set the screen and Chris Paul snaked around it or Devin Booker, whoever's got the ball. Um, McGee goes straight to the rim as fast as he can. He just sits there and he forces, you know, he gives you a, a, an option to finish and he's always ready to jump and finish um, with a dunk. And, and DA needs a little bit of got to see it first and then do it. And I think it really helps, as you said, Damon, uh, it helps having the same style of guy offensively and what the Suns want in the second unit um, as with, uh, DA so that he can see it happen. Cause I don't know that he learned how to roll from Dario. You know, Dario wouldn't have shown him how to roll. Great. Frank shows him how to do a stop, uh, do the, do the short roll and stop mid range and then try to pass it out, which DA isn't great at passing out on, on speed on, on, on a roll. So I think JaVale is a good guy to watch. Um, and, and DA learns by seeing, it seems like, and, and being shown how to do it rather than just being told. And, uh, I, I do feel like this will be a great opportunity for DA in the second half of the season to show a little bit more consistency on the role, even when the defense is starting to sag because he can jump over top of them. Um, I do find it interesting though, that the defense plays against DA totally different. Mike Vigil protected pick on on Twitter made this comment and I thought that was it was spot on that teams are extremely consistent when DA is in the game they are going to they are going to have their guard or whoever's guarding the our corner guys because we always have a guy in each corner Mikel and Jay or whoever it is standing in each corner for the three-point shot and pulling the defense out while Chris Paul and DA are in the middle trying to do a pick and roll and every time one or both guys, defenders on the baseline, 
slide in, drop in to defend uh, either the lob or DA's drive or whatever it is um, to just to just to discourage DA from finishing that role every single time. The defense does not do the same thing when JaVale's in the in the game because that's a that's a backup unit themselves and and they're not really focused on on stopping JaVale on the roll. <clears throat> and so the Suns have to figure out a counter. Two defenses doing that. And what they've started doing this past week is they 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 don't as often put guys in both corners. They're pulling, you know, they're pulling a, one of the corners, they're leaving one of the corners open, empty. So then, then there's a little bit more role, uh, move, uh, room, excuse me, for DA to get to the rim without a guard tagging him down low or trying to stop the lob. Um, but the Suns are going to have to do some things because it, it, they've gotten a little bit predictable. Although, what does predictable mean? Predictable means you've got DA triple teamed in, in the paint. And Chris Paul and Devin Booker have open mid-range shots, with they, which they love to take. So it all depends on, on um, you know, there, there's always counters to every every defense. And um, the Suns are just going to have to find a, a little bit different counter to be able to get D.A. That, that lob on the roll that he can finish. He doesn't finish the same way JaVale was. Or learning how to finish the way JaVale, JaVale does would be good, too. Um, okay. There was a question earlier on. I'm not sure if I can find it again. Um, but it said if DA had been given this extension, I think it was by buck dog already, would we be happy with how DA is playing this year? Damon? No, not even a little bit. He has been a shell of the playoff Aiton, and I am not sure what the cause for that is. It, it's probably just all the off-court stuff, like the contract and the Sarver stuff. Um, but he just seems like there's a lot more lapses than there were at any point in the playoffs, um, kind of reverting back to that regular season Aiton. And if if playoff Aiton is warranting the max, then we need to see playoff Aiton more in the regular season as well, I think. But a question for you is, when the Suns are winning 11 games in a row and regular season, Aiden, um, the Suns had 51 wins last year, second most in the league in 72 games. They're winning 11 games in a row here. Do you really need playoff eight and 82 games? Well, he hasn't been around for the whole 11 games, right? No, he hasn't. But the Suns haven't missed a beat when he has been in there. Um, so I'm just saying... Do you really need him to be that top end? They do need Chris Paul to be that top end player. They do need Devin Booker. I'm only asking the question. I'm not saying he doesn't need to be. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, Zona, what do you think? Yeah, he's not playing like a max player right now, but he's also dealt with injury and all, obviously all the outside distractions. So um, <clears throat> I think offensively, there just needs to be a little more consistency. Um, defensively, I think he's he's mostly been fine. There have been lapses um energy lapses with the whole team too so it's not just him i think even during this 11 game win streak there's been like i feel like maybe i'm crazy for thinking this but like they've only looked good and maybe like 20 percent of it or like as good as i think they can be so it just feels like you know the team in general just had these lapses in uh of mental focus so yeah overall you know it's there's still a lot of season left and i think once they get in that rhythm and get, you know, the team flowing and everyone healthy, they're, they're going to hit that stride where they're going to look a lot different. Um, yeah, right now, Aiden uh, definitely needs to prove it a little bit more, I think, consistently. But, uh, 
yeah, it's still early in the season. Um, so Rao point made a comment, Dave, you're making the point that Aiden is not worth the max. Uh, you haven't been listening to me. So your point might be, um, and, and other people's points might be that a max player creates his own shot and plays at top hundred percent speed all the time. Absolutely. My point is that if Aiden is a top 40 player in the league, he should be paid like a top 40 player in the league. That just happens to be max contract range. So he should be paid like it. And he was one of the most valuable players in the playoffs when you need him the most. He should be paid like it. That's my point. You guys are missing my point when you when you say that I'm making your point for you. I'm not. <clears throat> and Long John Silver, the only reason, this is hilarious to me. This makes me, I just can't, I don't understand the thinking on this. The only reason you want to have the max is because of his playoff performance. Yes! I want to pay a guy who leads you to the finals and plays his best basketball in the playoffs. I don't want to play a guy, pay a guy who scores 30 points in an early season, early season game and then doesn't show up in the playoffs. I don't understand you people. Why do you, why do you want to discount his playoff performance so much that you say he's only good in the playoffs? He was great in the playoffs and he led the team to the thing you want a team to to do is win in the playoffs. I think it's ridiculous to make this argument that he, he has to be better in the regular season or as good in the regular season as he is in the playoffs. I just want the great player in the playoffs. That's what I want. Give that to me. I'll pay him commensurate with his level of player in the league. End of story. Jesus, people. Good Lord. Why are we focused on the November games more than playoff games? Fired up. Good Lord. Yeah, wow. it's kind of like goes to the whole point of, uh, you know, when you want a player to show up, if they show up, then, you know, when it counts, that that's kind of all that matters. Like for me, if DeAndre plays like that every postseason, he's worth the max. I don't care if he sleepwalks through the regular season, honestly, which may be uh, a little naive to say, but like that is what matters. And um, obviously you want more flashes in the regular season, but it's still just a regular season. This team's a machine. They're on an 11 game win streak. They're probably going to finish, you know, top three in the West. So, you know, I think right now in, in a way it feels like there's a lot of Suns fans that are just kind of, we're so used to being like miserable or like creating problems that we're going out of our way to find some uh, instead of just enjoying this team. And I think that's part of like the whole DA thing, but also, it is a big, it's a lot of money to give out and it could limit the team in the future. So I, I understand certain points of it, but it's, it's just getting uh, some of the points being made are a little bit out there. I think. Well, I think people are just getting too focused on this is uh, they're forgetting. This is November and not June. That's all. That's my point. Roy Hibbert uh, code JJM. Roy Hibbert was a great playoff player. Was he, was he a playoffs MVP? Did he lead a team to the finals? No. So stop it. Jesus. Anyway. If, it's okay, if it's okay to just play devil's advocate for a second. Um, it's always okay. Just you, you, you incite <laughs> my wrath, but that's all right. Go right in. <laughs> um, I think that a lot of the trouble people might be having, and myself included with this point to a little bit extent, but um, I think the sample size thing matters just as far as like we have um, one sample size of, what was it, 15 to 20 games in the playoffs as opposed to like three full seasons and a little bit into his fourth. I think if there was a second playoffs, 
at any point, like in the bubble year, for example, if there was a second playoffs and we had seen that, oh, he really consistently every year will turn it on at this time of year. I think that would sway some people, but I just think it's small sample sizes giving people a tough time. But it's the sample size. It's the sample size that you want. Playoffs, by definition, is small sample size because it's do or die. And guess what? He got 22 games of playoffs in his first, and that's the biggest sample size of any 22-year-old lead center in, in history because no team makes the finals with a 22-year-old lead at the center at the lead. Come on, guys. Let's stop focusing on sample size and, and, st- and stop focusing on regular season being more important. That's that's why Andrew Wiggins has a max contract. That's why um, uh, uh, D'Angelo Russell has a max contract. That's why a lot of these guys have max contracts because we focus on the wrong things. Ken, does he look pretty making a shot in November? Max. That's just BS. It's total BS. All right, guys. Um, what other questions, ballers, do you want me to answer? Um, do you want any of us to answer? Uh, yeah, I guess Booker needs more of a playoff sample size. Booker was paid based on regular season performance. He did show up in the playoffs. Thank God. He is great in the playoffs. We always thought he would be great in the playoffs, but there are guys I want to, I want to point out something. Carl Anthony towns was age 22 in his first playoffs. He had Jimmy Butler. He had Tom Thibodeau. How did Carl Anthony towns do in the playoffs? Should we ever hold that against him? Does anybody know how he did in the playoffs? If you don't know, I'll tell you. Carl Anthony Towns that year is age 22. Uh, he, he was age 22 season. In the regular season, he was great. 22 points, 12 rebounds, 23 points, 12 rebounds. Wonderful. He helped Minnesota get to the playoffs. They won 50-plus games that year with Jimmy Butler as, as one of their lead guys. And um, they got in the first round. They lost in five games. What did Carl Anthony Anthony Towns do in the playoffs? Worse than he did in the regular season. But it was only five games. So should we not hold it against him? What team was that against that series? I don't remember. Maybe it might have been Golden State. I personally don't don't think... Any team should get flagged for losing to five or losing in five to that Golden State era team. No, but what I guess what I'm pointing out is that Carl Anthony Towns was worse in the playoffs than he was in the regular season. So I guess that's the way that's the league we we play in. That's the league we're covering is we pay people for the large majority, which is the regular season, and we don't hold their playoffs against them. Um one of the guys in the chat said we don't pay people based on playoff performance. I think that's sad, but that's just me. I'd rather pay them based on playoff performance. All right, let's predict. Let's let's go into uh, previewing the next week of games. Um, I am out of town next Saturday, uh, so we're not going to be able to record next Saturday morning. Um, we might record Sunday. I got. I haven't talked to Brandon or Zona about this yet. So, uh, but I am out of town. And um, so we're going to cover, we're going to go over the next five games for the Suns. We're going to start our fourth quarter here. Let me do this. The fourth quarter. All right, I'm not great on transitions yet today, but that's all right. Um, so previewing the upcoming games for the Suns. They host the Nuggets on Sunday night. Then they go on a road trip 
They're at the Spurs, who have not been that great this year. They're at the Cavs, who just lost Evan Mobley for a few weeks, at least a few weeks, two to four weeks. Uh, so I don't know if they're going to continue to be great. They've already lost um, not Darius Garland, but the other guard. Sexton? Yes, Sexton also to an injury. So the Cavs may have peaked this year. Uh, then they play the Knicks, who uh, have not been as good this year, at least offensively, as they as they were a year ago. And then they are at the Nets on Saturday. That's five games. One home against the Nuggets, who they already lost to uh, this year after sweeping them in the playoffs last year. Uh, and then at the Spurs, at the Cavs, at the Knicks, and at the Nets. Brandon, how do you think they're going to do? And uh, what are you looking for from the Suns this coming week? Uh, I'm going to go four and one this time. And, uh, you know, obviously I'd love for them to go five and oh and keep the, the win streak rolling. But I feel like they're going to lose one of those weird games like the Spurs or Cavs where they just kind of do the same like sleepwalking routine and it comes back to bite them in the ass. So uh, hopefully I'm wrong. I would love for this win streak to keep rolling. But, you know, I think four and one still pretty, pretty damn optimistic. Um, a lot more optimistic than your two and two pick last last week. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, they're going to keep rolling. I think just showing more engagement throughout the game is probably the most important thing for me. Um, you know, getting those reps in with the second unit, if if they can start to click even more, I think that's that's probably the major key. Um, and hopefully, we could have some more blowouts to get these guys some some rest uh, in the fourth quarter. And you know, it's kind of funny that the game last night, you know. A minute left they, they unload the bench in a 10-point game and you saw booker get up at one point oh because God. he was you know so frustrated with how things are rolling so cp was at the scorer's table i think <laughs> yeah no after that turnover uh you know book got up threw his shorts off and or uh, warm-up pants off and he's like put me in coach oh, okay. but, but yeah i think uh, shorts off that would have been bad you <laughs> <laughs> know get, getting some more uh rest to the starters i think like during like blowout games is something that I think we'll start to see more frequently, especially as, you know, things start to even out and, you know, the bad teams kind of remember that they're bad and the sun start clicking because um, there's always a weird stuff that happens early on in the season. And, you know, hopefully there'll, there'll be some more blowouts to come. All right. Zona's got us at four and one over the next week, plus over the next eight days. What do you think, Damon? I'll go five and oh, um, let's just root on this streak to keep going. I, I see Brandon's point about they might sleepwalk through either the Spurs or the Cavs game. But overall, I think um, some solid injury luck throughout the week for the the Suns. So um, I'm going 5-0. and Streak. We're going streaking. Jamal Murray We're going streaking. We go, we go, we go in five. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, if they went 5-0, and then they would have a 16-game winning streak, which would be the second longest in team history. They once had a 17-game winning streak in the, the 06-07 season, which was what's even more hilarious than that is that they followed it up almost immediately with a 15-game winning streak. They ended up winning 33 out of 36 games in the middle of that season when they went 61-21 and in the 06-07 season. That is just, uh, it's just incredible just incredible so you guys okay so we got a four and one and a five and oh you guys know i'm usually the negative guy i guess um i i think they're gonna they're gonna avenge their loss to the nuggets they're gonna beat the nuggets on sunday 
I think they're going to beat the Spurs uh, just because the Spurs are, are just shorthanded. They just don't have as good a team. And the Suns are going to beat the Spurs the same way they beat these teams in the past week. Uh, and uh, the Cavs are going to beat the Cavs just because the Cavs are, have lost a bunch of players. They don't have the horsepower that they had. The Knicks and the Nets are going to be tough. Uh, that'll be They'll have been on the road for a few days. They're going through Thanksgiving. They're going to be missing families. I feel like they're going to drop one of those two between the Knicks and the Nets. I don't think they'll drop both. I think they're going to drop one of the two. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is then they're going to end up with a 14-game winning streak or a 15-game winning streak and then get, get then get stopped at that point. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm saying I'll say they'll go 4-1 and one over the next week. So we'll see how that goes. Um, what do you guys think in the chat? I've seen a few people. So says Jay says they're going to go 79 and three on the year, which, Hey, you know, that's a 78 game winning streak. That's great. All the way through the playoffs. Pretty nice. Uh, the big warthog says they think they're going to lose. He thinks they're going to lose to the nets. Um, Cavs will win. Redshift galaxy says the Cavs are going to win a game. Any team could win any of the games. What I want what I put up on the screen is Ralph said they win all the games, but Aiden will be MVP in none of them. Here's what I'm going to predict. Aiden's going to be the best player on the court at least one of these games. <laughs> That's my prediction for the week. Uh, they're going to go four and one, and Aiden's going to be the best player in at least one of them. Um, all right, so there we go. Charles says they're going to end up with a 20-win streak after all is said and done. Let's go for that. That would be nice to see. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap up the show. Thank you guys so much for being on here. Wow, it's been an hour and 20 minutes already. Time flies and we're having fun. Um, I want to remind folks about we have this uh, this fundraiser that I do that I've done for five years now on Brightside. Um, we're going to be talking about it on solar panel as well. I want you guys to go to the link that I'm going to put in the chat here uh, and donate. We're donating tickets this year to first responders and healthcare workers that really kept us going during the uh, pandemic, put their lives on the line even more than usual more more frequently than usual uh, because of the pandemic over this past couple of years. So I want you guys to um, make the uh, make the donation here. Donate some tickets. They're only 11 bucks a piece. If you donate more than one ticket, you can get something for yourself as well. Uh, so go on that site. Go to that link. It's suns.com slash brightside. That's suns.com slash brightside. And make a donation. Help us out. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a, a really fun night. It always is a fun night. Last time we did this, we sent 4,400 people to a game. It was kids at that point. We used to focus on kids. This year, we're going to take a year off of the kids because of the pandemic, and we're going to focus on the ones most likely to be fully vaccinated and, and be safest at the games, which is the first responders and the and the healthcare workers. All right, uh, Damon, tell us where we can find you around the interwebs for people who want to follow Damon after the show. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at I am Damon Allred. Um, I write for Bright Side of the Sun, write for Zona Hoops, write for Roll Call Sportsnet, and uh, do as many podcasts as I can. All right, thank you, Zona. Tell us where we can find you. Yeah, give uh, David a follow. He does great stuff over at Zona Hoops and Bright Side as well, obviously. Um, but yeah, you can find me at zonahoops.com uh, at Zona Hoops underscore on Twitter and. I feel like we can't end the show without talking really quick about Mikel Bridges. Seven for seven, perfect game. Uh, just have to throw that. Yeah, how did in we not even quick. get to Mikel? 
too fired up about DA, but uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I think Mikhail deserves a little shout. Um, awesome game. Wish he would have shot more, but you know, I'll take it. He was, was asked after the watch. game, Mikhail, real quick. He was asked after the game, um, did you were you frustrated that you only got seven shots when you were perfect from the field? Seven for seven, he had three threes, um, and uh, four twos basically, and then also made both free throws. So he's he's actually nine of nine on his shots. And uh, somebody asked him after the game, he's like, man, when you got CP and Devin Booker taking all the shots, 20 shots, 14 shots, there's nothing left to go around. They got to pass the ball more. That's what he is joking. He is laughing about that. DA only got seven shots as well. The, uh, Devin Booker and Chris Paul basically did take most of the shots. Why is that? Because the defense sagged off and, and made sure nobody else got, got going. Um, I thought Dallas played really spirited defense over this past two days, uh, and uh, they put themselves in in position to win. They just couldn't do it. Um, so I thought, yeah, I thought big... they were frauds, but you know their role players stepped up. Uh, you know, obviously with Luca, they're a different team, but um, they they impressed me. Yeah, even Tim Cato was was uh, thinking that their record was was misrepresentative of how they had played this year. They were their record was better than they had really played. So. I thought they looked pretty good. Their role players did step up. Um, yeah, any other parting comments, uh, Damon? Just who's more fun to watch than Mikhail? The way he gets after it on both ends, plays so hard, plays so smart. He's just so fun. Absolutely. Yep. No, Mikhail is fun. We'll we'll dedicate a show to Mikhail here really soon. We dedicate this one to DA. We'll dedicate one to Booker. We'll dedicate one to CP. We'll dedicate one to Mikel. They all deserve the spotlight, even the, in the role players deserve the spotlight. I'm going to wait for campaign to start playing well again before he gets a dedicated show. Uh, but yeah, no, we're, um, I appreciate you guys, the time you gave us today. I appreciate all the folks in the chat who were here live. Um, you guys were great uh, this day and uh, in, in this show. And I love your comments. Thank you all so much. Y'all have a great Saturday and a great weekend and a great Thanksgiving.